What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. She'd ask me, what do you think you could do? I said, well, I think I could get six months because that's what the experts were telling me. She didn't ask me that question. What would you love to do with your life? So when you ask yourself, what would I truly love in my life three years from now? What would I love in health? What would I love in relationships? Maybe you want that love of your life and it's been elusive to you. The vision is phase one. The vibration is phase two. You put those two things together, no matter what the current circumstances, situations, or events of your life up until now have no power over your ability to transform first inside you and then outside you. Completely different results. It's Raquel, and welcome to Your Own Magic, a podcast for the creative and the curious soul. And also welcome to an extraordinary episode where we delve into the depths of personal transformation and the power of brave thinking in this captivating conversation. I had the privilege of exploring the remarkable insights of Mary Morrissey, renowned international speaker, founder of the Brave Thinking Institute, and esteemed author. In Mary's four-decade-long career, she has spoken at the United Nations three times, no big deal, and facilitated three week-long meetings with the Dalai Lama and met with Nelson Mandela in Cape Town, South Africa to address significant world issues. I truly believe Mary is one who has helped popularize something that has helped shift the minds of all of us, helping us reprogram our mindsets and begin to think bravely. She's kind of a big deal. And during this enlightening discussion with Mary, we embark on a journey of self-discovery and with a profound revelation of notice what you're noticing. Mary, she passionately emphasizes the critical role of awareness and taking control of our lives. And by becoming more attuned to our thought patterns and our physical habits, and we unlock the key to improving our results and and charting a course towards a more fulfilling future. And so as we navigate through the vast landscape of personal growth, Mary unveils a powerful concept, transforming the pain of the past. And drawing upon her own transformative journey, she reveals the significance of embracing failure as a catalyst for change. With the wisdom of earning two black belts, one in success and one in failure, Mary guides us in turning our setbacks into stepping stones and propelling us towards exponential growth. There's so much I enjoyed throughout this episode. It's such an awe-inspiring episode and Mary's profound wisdom and transformative tools will leave you simply feeling empowered and enlightened and equipped to embark on your own brave thinking journey. It's time to embrace the invisible side of success and break free from limiting beliefs and create a life that surpasses your wildest dreams. So with all that being said, I believe it is time to let the magic begin with Mary Morrissey. Mary, so you're someone I've actually heard about for quite a while, and so I'm beyond thankful to have you on the show. And I'm curious, what is lighting you up most in this season of your life? Oh, gosh, <laughs> you and I had a chance to chat before we started and we were talking about our dogs. <laughs> and so I would say my little cat, Sean, that we got during COVID, she will be three next month. Uh, that definitely lights my light up, or my life up. Um, first thing that came to mind, second thing is I'm really happy to be here and support your beautiful podcast uh, and give you, I want to thank you for the good work you're doing in this world. 
Thank you. And I want to thank you for the good work you've been doing for a long time in this world as well, and that you've committed your life to this. You've dedicated your life to this. And I'd also love to hear your story for those who don't know, starting from the brave journey from your teen years with the fatal diagnosis. I could not believe, and you are just continuing to spread so much beautiful awareness and light into this world. And so I'd love to hear the other events as well that led you to what you share today. I want to say to our listeners, hi. <laughs> well, uh, we're all talking about magic today. So I'll tell you about a piece of magic that came into my life that was not in a, a package I would have wanted. Uh, so um I, had a, I grew up in Beaverton, Oregon, which is this nice suburb of Portland, Oregon. I uh, had a high school experience like my, most young girls dream about. Um, I had a great mom and dad, a sister who, one, one sibling, eight years older. Uh, I'm in high school now, and um, I always wanted to be a teacher, and it's my junior year in high school, and I'm uh, class vice president. I have a lead. I'm, I'm on the drill team, and uh, I have a lead in the junior play. I'm a homecoming princess that year. And May, uh, and then in the spring, my high school boyfriend had gone off to college. We'd been dating four years. He came back. I got pregnant. And May 1, I'm now telling my mom and dad that I am pregnant. It's 1966. Wow. And my mother, my mother wept for me as if I had died. In her mind, her dreams for me were dying. We had a very hasty 10-person wedding. And the... Um, a couple of weeks later, the principal of the high school called me into his office and said, are these rumors I'm hearing about you true? And I said, well, if the rumors are that I'm pregnant and married in that order, then yes, they're true. And he just put his head in his hands. And he said, Mary, you have terrific honors, you have great grades, but you will not be allowed to return here for your senior year in high school. It would be totally inappropriate for a pregnant girl to get mixed in with the normal girls. Oh. But if you want to get a high school diploma, which I did because I, I wanted to be a teacher and I didn't see this as a dead end. I did see it as a detour. It was going to take me longer, but I didn't want to give up on that dream. He said, if you want a high school diploma, there is a place you can get a high school diploma. It's across the river. Uh, it's not held during daylight. It's after dark. It's the where the pregnant girls and the delinquent boys go to high school. What? Yeah. That's how you phrased it. Of course. This is the 60s. Right. And so uh, the next... Uh, fall, I drive across the river, uh, park my car, and I'm walking up the steps and thinking, by now, um, I'm not welcome back in my high school. My best girlfriends, three of them, that we've been a, a foursome of best buddies since I was in fourth grade, their mothers got together and decided their girls could no longer see me or talk to me <gasps> because no. almost as if what I had was contagious. So I've lost my best friends. I've lost the school. I'm walking up the steps to this high school. So I want you to think about where you were at the beginning of your senior year of high school. This is where I am. I'm walking up the steps and I'm thinking every girl here is either pregnant, has a baby, and every guy is some kind of delinquent. This is my new student body. So I, you know, went in. My son was born in December of 1966. Uh, and in May of 1967, I graduated from Washington Evening High School. In July of 1967, when my son is seven months old, I'm in, I find myself in an intensive care ward in a Portland hospital, having been diagnosed with fatal kidney disease. One kidney was, this is before dialysis, this is before transplants. One kidney was totally destroyed with nephritis, kidney disease, and the other was 50% destroyed with active nephritis. In 1967, this is a death sentence. And everyone, all the professionals, the doctors, the specialists, they're just extremely sorry to see this 18-year-old girl who has a seven-month-old son dying. But there's really nothing they can do about it until they decide, well, if they can get the blood toxin level in my body reduced enough so I can sustain a surgery to remove the right kidney, then maybe I would have six months to live. And so um, that was the next goal, was to get six months. And I'm terrified. I'm just, and the God of my upbringing uh, was not a friendly place to go when you felt like you had really screwed up. That was an angry, punishing um, God that I had been raised with. And I just deep down believed I was being punished, that I was a bad girl. I mean, I was sent to school with delinquents. Surely I was a bad girl. And um, this, this force or power called God which in those days I imagined as a man in the sky, um, was saying I, w I didn't deserve to live. 
And so finally, the night before the surgery was scheduled, uh, a woman walked in my room about 10 o'clock that night who identified herself as a chaplet, chaplain and said she came several times a week to volunteer to do prayer with people who were having surgeries the next day. And she said, I get the list in order of the most seriousness of the uh, surgeries and your name's at the top of my list. Can, would you like to pray with you? And I was scared. And I said, <clears throat> okay. So she pulled her chair next to my bed and she didn't do anything that looked like prayer to me. She talked with me and she started by asking me, would you be willing to tell me what's been going on in your life the last year or two? So I told her my story at the end of which she looked at me compassionately and she said, Mary, everything's created twice. And I looked at her with this, I'm sure, very quizzical look like, what are you talking about? And then she said, you know this. In fact, everybody knows this. Almost nobody knows the power of knowing this. And then she said, the bed you're laying on, the nightgown you're wearing, the sheets covering you, the walls, the ceiling, the floors, all the machinery you're hooked up to. First, it all had to be a thought before it could ever become a thing. And she said, and now that you're considering how everything is created twice, could you consider the possibility? She said, I, I'm hearing how much you love your little boy, but I can also hear in your story how much you've been hating yourself. You feel like you shamed yourself, you shamed your school, you shamed your family. And now that you're considering how everything is created twice, could you consider the possibility that that toxic self-loathing thinking about yourself might have some correlation to the toxicity that's rampaging your body and threatening your very life. This is 1967. There was no mind-body clinic at Harvard or at Stanford or UCLA or all of these teaching hospitals today that we have that was completely outside what anyone was thinking in this time. And she said, so, um, could you believe that in this universe, there are infinite possibilities? Couldn't there be a possibility where we could say a prayer and in the morning they come look at you and say, you look so much better, we better test you. And then they say, well, we don't know what happened, but you got well and you can go home. Could, could you believe that's possible? And I told her, no, there wasn't one part of me that believed she was going to say words and all the immense pain I'd been in and all of this, plus the, the doctors who were all saying a different version of what was going to happen. I couldn't, she just walked in my room. She, that, I, I said, no, I can't believe that. And she said, all right, could you believe then? Now, remember all the possibilities. There are infinites. Could there be a possibility where we do a prayer and we imagine scooping and sweeping all of that toxicity from your body and placing it in the kidney that's going to get removed? And when it's removed, instead of getting worse, you just slightly start to get better. So she gave me a different image and let, and, and could you see that? And then ultimately, uh, you know, you, you're able to leave the hospital and you get well, could you believe that's possible? In that moment, something happened for me. I didn't believe it, but I could tell she did. And I, 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 I know now upon reflection after years of study in this that I borrowed her belief. I didn't have it myself, but I could tell she believed it. And I said, well, I don't know if it's probable, but maybe it's possible. And she said, that's all we need. One corner of open to the possibility. Now that was before Sheldrake did quantum, you know, his thing on, on unified field theory before Talbot wrote the holographic universe out of Stanford, where we know that it really only takes one corner of your mind open to a possibility and then the science of how you generate from that. And it does create magic. So uh, I would say to all of our listeners right now that if there's something you want to have happen and you have had ideas about the only way it can happen or how hard it's going to be or, or just for a moment, open the corner of your mind to the possibility that today's call together could actually open the door to a kind of magic in your life that makes it way, way easier for you. So she says, could you believe it's possible? I said, I, I, I can see you do. So maybe it's, maybe it's possible. And then she did a prayer, but it wasn't like a prayer like we would think of that begging prayer. So, that's, so she told me to relax. And then she helped me imagine that everything was being swept into this one kidney that was going to get removed. And it was even removing that dis-ease dis-ease that came from all the toxic thinking 
out of the kidney that was the healthier one, but still 50% destroyed. Um, and she said, so here's, and she did this prayer and then I opened my eyes and she said, so here's what I want you to do. After this, you come back from the surgery, your mind is going to be busy on the pain. You're going to have some pain from a day, two, three, whatever it is. And she said, and then after, as the pain starts to ebb, your mind is going to want to go down those well-worn paths of thinking where self-loathing exists. So what I want you to do is do this. Anytime you notice yourself thinking a self-loathing thought, say, no, that left with the kidney. And then immediately imagine yourself, uh, well, let me back up. When she said, if you could live, part of the prayer, if you could live, what would you do with your life? And I knew immediately I would raise my little boy and I would be a teacher. So she used that. This is visioning. It, she, it, she used that in this. So say no, that left with the kidney. And immediately imagine yourself. You've got a little boy's hand in yours. Feel the warmth of his hand. You're walking up the steps. He's five years old. You're walking up the steps to a school. <clears throat> There's a happy kindergarten teacher welcoming your boy. You give him a big hug and how happy you are to be there in the moment where your boy is going off to kindergarten. He goes in the classroom, you go down the hallway, you hear the click, click, click of your heels as you go around the corner and there's your classroom and you're a teacher. Then fast forward in your mind and you're sitting in a great big stadium or auditorium and there's all these caps and gowns down there and they're calling your son's name and he comes across the stage, he gets his high school diploma and he's waving it and you're in the stands just cheering for him and so grateful for all the many moments of you being his mom to help him have this achievement in his life and your teaching career is growing. And then fast forward and you're sitting in the front row of a wedding it's your son's wedding. You're the mother of the room. And you're so happy for him to be seeing him marry the love of his life and your teaching career is flourishing. And then she said, keep doing that. And then she left. Um, the surgery happened the next day. Uh, I would be today looking back uh, with awareness. I would say I was a... Um, you know, I was an incompetent, competent, is that I did what she told me to do, but I wasn't aware enough to know I was doing it. After the surgery, the doctors, the surgeon said to my family who was gathered, including the, uh, my, my son's father, um, they said, we're so sorry. He said that one kidney uh, that's left is, we got the one out, but the other one is shriveled, pockmarked. It's riddled with nephritis. I, we don't even know if she'll get six months. Um, so that was the information at the level of fact. So those are the facts. So I was evidently doing what she told me to do. And my numbers after a week, they were just plummeting and then getting worse and worse. And then they started to stabilize and stabilize. And they started just every day, just getting the slightest micro improvement. And after about two to three weeks, they, they said, you know, your numbers are stable now. We don't know why they're not um, increase, you know, decreasing in your ability to function, but they're, they're stable enough that if you, and maybe you are going to get a little more time than we thought. Um, but if you want, we would, uh, approve as long as you go to the urologist three times a week, go home, um, be with your little boy, have some time, uh, before you have to come back to the hospital. So I, I jumped at that chance. I went home in an ambulance. I was so weak. I couldn't even get my head off the pillow. And, if, you know, doing this thinking, well, when you're thinking about where you're headed, ideas come to you. Like uh, one day home, coming home from the um, urologist, I, my mother was driving me and she was taking care of me and my little boy and my husband would work during the day and come, come back. We were all staying at my parents' house. And um, I said, you know, if I do live, I would go to college. So could you just stop by the community college and just get a catalog so I could be looking at it? So I'm, I'm laying in bed and I'm starting to look at these classes, which classes would I want to take? And what would serve this degree I would get? And anyway, after about between the sixth and seventh month after the surgery, I'm in the hospital <clears throat> in a conference room with the surgeon, the specialist, um, the other technicians and tech, uh, you know, x-ray people that had seen what was going on. And they're scratching their heads and they're saying to me, we have no science for what's happened. But that one kidney and the surgeon looked me in the eye and he said, I saw that kidney. 
it was riddled with nephritis. He said, you don't recover from that. However, we have no idea why right now your one kidney is functioning like a whole perfect kidney. We don't know if this will last, how long it'll last, but for now, um, just keep doing what you've been doing. I didn't even know what I'd been doing. I was grateful that I got well. I was grateful a year later that I was well and the second year, but I didn't have curiosity until I got myself finally in undergraduate school. Uh, my son was born in 66, so he was five by the time I got myself into full-time uh, undergraduate school and could afford it and <clears throat> the different things a young couple is finding their way to be able to do. And, um, and then some things occurred in the fall of that year, and I really, a series of things that helped me begin to get very curious about what was the science that really made this possible? And I studied everything I could find in the field of philosophies, world religions, um, got a master's degree in counseling psychology, did a two-year seminary, uh, and <clears throat> earned a doctorate in humane letters. And um, over time, I began to see a pattern that exists for anyone who has what today we would call magic in their life, something that gives them a major breakthrough in health or relationships, or vocation, or time and money freedom, where we have, if you just keep breathing for another year, you're going to have results in each of those areas. You will have health results. You will have vocation results. With Vocation doesn't mean you're earning income. It might be just something you're doing with your time and talent, but everybody does something with their time and talent. Is it fulfilling? Is it meaningful? Is it impactful? Uh, life seeking to express itself more fully. And this is the patterns and the, the things that I have studied over the years. It's, it's led me to uh, travel the world, uh, speaking at the UN three times, meeting, working uh, significantly over seven years with projects with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, had the privilege of working with Nelson Mandela. Um, it's places I could have never imagined being that young woman laying in a hospital bed. <laughs> but that's what I've devoted my life to helping anyone who wanted to know more about how to unlock the power that's in them to bring forth something they would love to have happen, but have no idea how to do it. Mary, what a truly phenomenal story. You are a phenomenal woman. And I'm thankful that that earth angel, she truly was an angel sent to you and has completely changed the trajectory of what you probably had pictured your life before even getting the diagnosis. And it's amazing how many humans you have touched with this. And do you go to hospitals just like she did to help people shift their mindset? I spent 23 years as a minister, which was the only way I wow. could teach transformation in uh, in those days, opened my first work. I studied all of it for a decade, researched it, got the seminary, and then I uh, began a work in Oregon and grew that to a very, very large impactful work. So I was many, many times in hospitals. I performed over 500 funerals and weddings and this number and over the years and had many, it, it was a large work. Um, and it, um, and then I moved on to doing the work I'm doing now in this world for the last 20 plus years, uh, which has reached 181 countries and been much more expansive than you can do in a one place where people have to come to you. What a rich life. What a rich life, seriously. And I do appreciate that you integrate not only the art, but also the science as well of becoming a brave thinker and create this life that you want and that you love, whether you are someone that someone is sick and, you know, they're looking to hopefully get better or, and also live and continue to watch their kid graduate and get married, which by the way, did you watch his graduation? Did you watch him get married, walk down the aisle? Absolutely. I love that. And then they, you know, might not be sick, but they might just feel stuck and stagnant in life. And they just want to spread their wings and expand. And they have an idea of what they want for their life, but they have no idea where to get there. And so what are the first steps we can take to begin to transform our thoughts? Well, let's start with the beginning is a vision. We're dealing with two things that actually make a quantum field move. So you've got all these possibilities, but how do you move it from possibility to probability to predictability? So the first is in a, in a really clear vision. I was very clear. I want to be a teacher. I want to raise my little boy. Take that image and work with it with me. 
give me pictures of me living that life. So we have all been gifted with the gift of imagination. We have an image making faculty that is part of our the spiritual side of our, our human nature. So we have a human nature and we have a spiritual nature. Our human nature is finite. Our spiritual nature is infinite. And we can draw from that. So you have a, what is it you would really, really love? Not what do you think you could do? If she'd asked me, what do you think you could do? I said, well, I think I could get six months because that's what the experts were telling me. That She didn't ask me that question. What would you love to do with your life? So when you ask yourself, what would I truly love in my life three years from now? What would I love in health? What would I love in relationships? Maybe you want that love of your life and it's been elusive to you. The vision is phase one. The vibration is phase two. You put those two things together, no matter what the current circumstances, situations, or events of your life up until now have no power over your ability to transform first inside you and then outside you completely different results. And, but it does require us to have a very clear vision and then to match that with the vibration. And that's why I teach what we call brave thinking, because different way of thinking than most people have ever been introduced to or thought. It, it, most of us have been trained in what Henry David Thoreau called common hour thinking. And so we, you know, I want to do this. Well, where's the money going to come from? I mean, where are the clients going to come from? Where are the, and you look to the world of circumstances for, as your source versus you have a different source, really. You have this, the, whether you call it the universe, whether you call it the infinite, whether you call it whatever name you relate to that is for the infinite, it's all available. It's in, even in, in quantum physics, they call it, um, the, the, the super field that has everything in superposition, meaning these are possibilities that are vibrating as possibilities. They haven't come into form, but the one you agree with is the one that is most likely to come into your experience. So if you agree with the idea, this is going to be really hard. This is going to take a long time. That's the possibility that you're bringing forth, that it's hard and it takes a long time. But it takes no more energy to think this could be easy, and it just takes one. Right. I love a natural look with some shimmer. I love that lightly soft contour, but add, of course, some shimmer and some blush, some highlighter, a whisk of eyeliner on the outer edges, and, of course, a strong lengthening mascara that does not clump or flake. That's basically the look I usually go for. So whether you like a more natural look or full glam or somewhere in between, you'd love Thrive Cosmetics because you're not only getting quality cosmetics, but you're also contributing to a good cause. And you also might already know of them as they have a pretty viral, vibrant turquoise tube on social media for their mascara. And it is a game changer. It is. I'm so happy that Thrive Cosmetics is not just stunning, but also 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And it's packed with clean, skin-loving ingredients. Their high-performance formula set the bar high with uncompromising standards. So no wonder their bestsellers boast thousands of glowing five-star reviews. And what also makes them even more special is that every purchase with Thrive Cosmetics contributes to making communities thrive. Hence the name. I mean, it's also spelled C-A-U-S-E-Medics. Thrive Cosmetics. So it's not just about beauty. I mean, they're truly about giving back. So with your support, they donate products and funds to support communities in need through responsive giving. That's why they've been my beauty obsession since 2020. I've been using their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara since 2020. I mean, this is a magical mascara that lasts all day without a hint of clumping or smudging or flaking. And removal is a breeze as all I need is warm water and a washcloth. Pretty simple. And also here's the best part. The nourishing ingredients in this flake-free tubing formula not only gives you the length and definition that you crave, but also it supports longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's a love story for your lashes. So Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 20% off your first order.
And also another thing that you talk about is the power of notice what you're noticing. Do you mind elaborating on this and why it's important to become aware of these these thought patterns and also how this can benefit our lives? It's the number one um, transformational tool that we have. Right. So for a moment, for a moment, um, notice your feet. Notice whether you have shoes or socks on your feet. Notice if your feet are, uh, if your legs are crossed. Notice if they're touching the ground or laying on a couch. Notice where your feet are. Notice your feet. Notice your ankles. Notice your calves and your knees and your thighs and your bottom and your belly. Notice your front of your torso and the back of your torso. Bring that noticing across your shoulders, down your upper arms, into your elbows, your forearms, your wrists, your hands, all the way to the, and the palms, all the way to the tippy tip of all 10 fingers. Bring that noticing up the front and back of your neck, up the back of your head. Notice the tip of your chin, the right cheek, the left cheek, the tip of your nose, the center of your forehead, and the top of your head. Notice your body. Notice that you can notice your body. Notice that you can notice your environment right now. Notice that you can notice the thoughts you're thinking. Notice that you can notice the emotion or the feelings you're having right now, whether you feel hopeful or bored or uh, skeptical, doesn't matter. Just notice. I don't think anyone's feeling bored. <laughs> pretty sure we're pretty captivated. It's, it's a possibility. So we just lay it out. That there's, it, just notice what you're noticing mm-hmm. and notice that you're noticing. Until you're, you have developed in you what many traditions call the witness self or the noticer that you can notice, nobody's awake to help guide the direction of your life. You're only responding to circumstance, situations, and conditions that come your way. You're living a reactive life rather than a proactive life. As you set a vision, and then you begin to notice the thoughts you're thinking and notice whether they are expansive or contractive. You'll feel it in your body first. You'll feel more hopeful. You'll feel happier. You'll feel um, anticipatory if you're thinking thoughts that are harmonious with the vision you're holding. If you're thinking thoughts about what's in the way, how long it could take, and are you good enough anyway, and nothing's ever worked out for you, and you're thinking these thoughts, you're going to feel a whole lot of contraction. And the, the feeling that you're having is the vibration of your thinking. So if you're, I can promise if you're feeling anxiety, you are thinking thoughts that generate anxiety. If you're feeling hope, you're thinking thoughts that generate the feeling of hope. The feeling you're feeling is your first awareness of the vibration you're in. And in order for something that's in your mind as a possibility to come into the form, if the process by which that occurs you will create results. You don't get a choice about that, but you can change the results you will create based on changing your relationship with both the thoughts you're having, the feelings you're having, and the actions you're taking. They, those three things go together. Ooh, ooh. And then another three things that you talk about are these three Bs, which I think are brilliant steps for creating your life. Do you mind talking about the three Bs, the three steps of creating a life that we love? And I did decades of research in this now. I've been studying over 50 years and I've been teaching about 41 years. Yeah. The blueprinting is the first phase. You want a dream house? You don't, even if, if you had unlimited money and you had the best builder in town and you said to the builder, build me a house I absolutely love, that builder would not be able to deliver on that because only you can say exactly what you would love. How many bedrooms? Is it on a mountain? Is it in a valley? Is it in a high rise? You would define what you would most love. That's the blueprinting phase. And there's a series of ways in which we excavate really not what you think you can have, but what you would truly love in your life. So now that you have the vision, now we have to match the vibration. And this is a change of the patterns of thinking. She comes to my bed and I'm thinking, well, nobody I knew thought this way. So I had to integrate a new kind of thinking that I didn't even understand it while I was it, but later could begin to unpack the science of it so that we could put it in a pattern 
that absolutely, and I've seen, I've worked with tens of thousands of clients all over the world. It always works when we work with it the way it works. In fact, my first mentor, I would be many years in the study before, and I was struggling to produce results that I wanted to produce. And I had opened this little place to teach in. I was doing therapy all week long to earn enough money to help. We now had four kids uh, to help with my part of the family expenses. And I do this Sunday thing where I'm teaching transformation. And um, it's an it's an odd fellows home, <laughs> odd fellows building. It has uh, curling linoleum on the edges. There's metal chairs. I don't have money for advertising. And I get stuck with about 30 people coming. And I, I'm thinking, well, if they had nicer chairs to sit on, who wants to sit on a metal chair? You know, what's the, the linoleum is so unattractive and I don't have advertising. And I'm stuck and I get stuck for like three years this way. And then there's a man who's teaching what I want to teach. He's having way better results than me. He studied the same thing I've studied, but his results are vastly more. So I travel across the country to hear him speak. Ask, uh, ask for breakfast. He has a breakfast with me and says, I, I, I'm going to offer you some mentoring. I see something in you. And the first thing he told me is, look, I can show you how it works, but I can't make it work your way. You're trying to make it work your way. It won't work your way. I'll show you how it works. Uh, and uh, But I can't make it work your way. He says, heck, Mary, I can't even make it work my way. And he began to help me systematically over the course of the five years I mentored with him before he died his name, Jack Boland, um, helped me see that it wasn't the linoleum. It wasn't, you know, the first time he said it to me, I, I, part of me wanted to get offended. He said, it's not the linoleum. So right now, I'm, but let me, before I get in there, I want to say to our listener, what do you think right now is the reason you're not having the results you want? What is it? What's one or two or three things? Just bring those to mind. Because if you were sitting with my mentor, Jack Bullen, he would say to you exactly what he said to me, which is, it's not the linoleum. It's not the chairs. It's not the no money for advertising. So whatever you just thought up is the reasons you're not having what you want. It's not those things. It's your thinking about those things. You think that can stop you. You think you have to have that. And, uh, and it was, um, and systematically he helped me learn I didn't have the words for it yet about how to be on the vibration of the vision I was holding. And I was holding 300 people. 300? I wanted it to, he had, he had 500. Right. Right. I, 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 well, even if it's 150, but I'd love three, what would you love? Wow. So I'd love to be able to impact 300 people's lives. <sighs> yeah. And so I enrolled to work with him and that that first year we didn't get to 300 but i after being stuck years on 30 people uh that year it went to 90 it was three times bigger i enrolled for the second year that year it went to to 100 uh, 190 and then it went to 400 and 812 and on um because i was changing there weren't less possibilities in the universe there were always the possibilities but I didn't know how to unlock that. Even though I'd had the experience as a very young woman, you know, I'm now in my, I'm 30, 31 in this era of my life. And I'm, I, I didn't understand how to translate that into what today I call dream building. So, so the first phase is blueprinting. The second phase is bridging where you match the vibration of the image you're holding. Being that person, not after it comes into form, but before. Uh, when Henry David Thoreau said he did an experiment of living three years, it was two years, two months, and two days. Um, and then he wrote an essay on it. And he said, I've learned this one thing from my experiment. He said, I want to learn what life has to teach me. I don't want um, when I die to find out I haven't even lived. So he did this experiment in living. Uh, really listening to nature and, and how things occur. And he said, he know, in the first week he was living, he built a one-room house. He wasn't a hermit. He didn't. He was a surveyor um, with his brother, and they surveyed many of the rivers around Concord, Massachusetts, uh, Cape Cod. Um, he said, I noticed after one week of living at the lake, that is Walden Pond, that I was taking the same 
uh, path to my uh, to the lake in the morning to take my morning bath. And I thought, if I, who am willing to do this great experiment with life, am taking the same path to my bath, how often am I taking the same well-worn paths of thinking without even knowing it? I don't want to just become an expert surveyor of geography. I want to become an expert surveyor of my own inner cosmology. And, and the way we do that is to notice what we're noticing. So in the bridging phase, you're noticing the, whether you are, with everything that you can do today, being the person who's having the experience that's in your mind. And it's not out there yet. But the vibration, the gratitude, Jim Carrey wanted to be the first actor ever to receive a $10 million contract for acting services rendered. He wasn't even hired as a comedian in those days. He was giving time at the Laugh Factory in LA. But every day, he wrote himself a $10 million check. No actor in Hollywood had ever been paid $10 million. But it was a possibility, and he he saw himself doing that. But the way he integrated the bridging phase was he would drive up to Mulholland Drive and look out over Hollywood in the dancing lights of the night, and he said, and I would not leave until I got the feeling this belongs to me. It, he said, I would imagine this producer calling me or that producer or, and I'm, I'm in, in, in a studio and in, in the executive uh, room and I'm signing this contract and I'm, there's $10 million on it. It's got my name on it. And he said, I would not leave until I imagined it enough that I could feel it as real. And then I would say to myself, this does belong to me. It just hasn't happened that yet. That is a classic, and I love it. That, that's the bridging phase, but then yeah. the building phase. He says, but you can't do that and then just go sit on the couch. Do the thing you can, and that's the building phase. You have a blueprint in your mind. You bridge to feeling that it belongs to you. It just hasn't happened yet. And then you're asking yourself, what is it I could do with what I have to move me in the direction of my dream? That's where the magic gets unlocked is in the action step, a yes. new circuitry that you're, you're, you're bringing together. And you actually, by means of that, generate a wavelength by which things that you can't make happen, happen, you make them welcome by being on that vibration. Such an important piece that not a lot of people talk about. And it's like when you cross that bridge, that magical place that you want to build you don't want to sit on a couch. Don't you want to, you know, make it happen? And also how much more rewarding is that when you do take the action and you feel like you are making this happen? Well, I, I see it more as making it welcome. I'm doing my part, but I, I'm not alone in this. I'm part of this infinite energy. Right. And it's got an intelligence to it that's beyond my own. Of course. So I'm, I'm yes, I'm doing the part. That is where I'm making it happen. I'm doing the thing I can do with what I have, but knowing that the reach of that is far beyond my own efforting. I like what you said, that you're making it welcome. You're welcoming it in. Mm -hmm. Another thing I like is something you've said that uh, you've earned two black belts. One is success <laughs> and one is failure. So do you mind expanding on why failure can actually be a good catalyst for change and as well as how we can turn our failures into a stepping stone for growth. Absolutely. I would say that the black belt, I mean, I have had numerous things that didn't work out along the way, as we all do. Um, I was married to my kid's dad. We had four kids together. We were married 27 years. Um, and we're dear, dear friends, even to this day. But in midlife, in my early 40s, he and I, you know, we were kids. I was 16 when I got married. And we had four amazing kids together. And about the time we were completing getting them out of high school, it became apparent, uh, especially to me, we weren't on the same wavelength. What he wanted to do is just the, you know, we, if you could hook up on on eight cylinders to have a great marriage, we were we worked really well on two or three of those cylinders. You know, we both loved God, we loved our kids, and we loved making a difference. But the way all that occurred and how we want to live life, we're growing further and further apart. 
I never felt like that was a failed marriage. We completed that marriage, the married part of our relationship, and went on with being great parents to our kids who got together on holidays and family things. And that's continued over the 30 years now that we've been apart. What a beautiful perspective. I love that. Um, several years later, I met and fell in love with a CPA. My work was burgeoning. I was uh, had national bestsellers, and my work was burgeoning, and he was helping with some of the... Um, legal things and financial things for the, this large church and the property that was there. And we bought this property and the congregation had, had helped self-finance that property with loans. And I brought him deep into the work. And a few years later, I found out, and I was devastated to find out. I knew he had depression disorder. I didn't understand the nature of mania and the different things and the way he would be. But nevertheless, I bumped into some things and found out that he had been embezzling money for years. Ooh. Had, I went public with that as, a, as the president of a nonprofit, had to make reportings to the state of Oregon. An investigation ensued. We, and it became obvious to the legal people who were helping us that I mean, the board and I saw it from, it was, he'd also presented all these financial reports to the board and me to make decisions with that were falsified. So there was, it was you know, over a million dollars that he'd taken out of the congregational contributions and used in other businesses that he was involved in. And it was almost like he was gambling with this could happen and then that could happen. Nevertheless, we separated, divorced. He finally was able to get in a mental hospital, which I helped him get into. He got stabilized, confessed to everything, went to prison for it. And I was left with... Losing the, we had to close the church and let the leadership open other churches in its name. Um, the board and I resigned. Um, this is 2003. I'm devastated. I just feel like, oh my gosh, in, in hindsight, you can see things. Uh, how I did, could have seen this, but didn't see it. And um, so I ended up uh, thought, well, I can't change what's happened, but what can I do about it? So I began to. Uh, and then the, the bankruptcy attorneys wanted to put a full bankruptcy on it, meaning that, yes, I could give the building back to the people who had pre-owned the building that we had purchased. Um, there were things I could do and feel an integrity about, but not bankrupt the loans that the congregants had made to the church. And I knew that they didn't just trust the church, they trusted me. And it amounted to $10 million. Now, I have no job. And my reputation now is that there was a, the Oregonian <laughs> painted this, um, the, the husband who has mental illness embezzles was not the story that made the front pages. It was part of it, but it was, uh, you know, the profit for profit was one of Right. So they did. So some did blame you. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it was, um, so I, I just said to the bankruptcy, you can bankrupt all of it, but you can't bankrupt my, the congregants. They trusted me. I will either find a way to repay them or I will spend the rest of my life endeavoring. And we put together an escrow fund for that to occur. And I began to build a new work very slowly at first. And then, but all my friends, Dyer, Les Brown, um, uh, Michael Beckwith, Marianne Williamson, all my friends, you know, they had their own things that they'd seen and they'd been there. They, they, uh, so they were inviting me to their stages and little by little things began to grow. And then they got some traction under it. It took me 14 years, but in my mind, we're, I'm doing the same thing I'm teaching you to do. A blueprint, I'm writing the last check. And I'm getting this stamp and it says zero balance. And I would imagine that, and I'm writing the last check, and then I would put on the vibration of being that woman. And then part of me would be going, oh, my God, this is so big, and this is just so big. And then I think, well, either the debt is big or the infinite is big. So I, this is it's just numbers to the infinite. You know, I'm making big. So I'm just going to apply the system to this, and I'm imagining writing the last check, feeling the feeling, walking out of there of um, – gratefulness that I was able to accomplish this, but even more so who I've had to become in the process to accomplish this, that would make me so much a better teacher. Uh, and um, making friends with the journey that that would mean. 
and while creating great work in the world. And that this work reached way, way more than I was ever able to reach in my previous work. It was really only a couple of years later, as I'm now beginning to pay some things back, just little by little in the beginning, that I realized how much more, how much happier I was, how much uh, that I, had, I uh, even though it was sad to see that marriage end, it was not life-giving in so many ways, as you can imagine, that I was busy traveling, doing work with the Dalai Lama, with the UN, yeah. while all this was going on. So while that was very sad, it took me a long time to get that zero balance, writing that last check and having that zero balance. I would not, I would say to people, even today, I would not wish what I went through on anyone, but I would wish where it took me on everyone. So everyone has difficult times. That's, that's part of the curriculum of discovering that you are more than those difficult times. Either the difficult time is going to win or you're going to win over the difficult time. One of those two things is going to happen. And if you are a common hour thinker, the difficult time will win and you'll get to be a victim of look what happened to me. And you will never run out of people who will tell you ain't it awful um, because many people have been trained to feel victimized by things that have happened. Things happen, but we could choose whether or not we're going to be a victim of it, or we're going to take that very same circumstance. And all of the people that have had great success have had great challenge also, but they overrode that challenge. And that, that possibility is here for every single one of us. We're all human. And if you could do it, we could do it too. I wonder if some people's like my, something crossed my mind. I was thinking like, you know, how a lot of teachers, when they share something, it feels like the universe sometimes gives them a bigger challenge. If you think that's true, I don't know whether or not you think that's true, but how do we avoid that? No, I don't, I don't believe it. Okay. I like that. No, I think that <laughs> the, the curriculum one of the things that came to me along the way, it was just, I knew it was true when I heard it, it just came into my awareness. It said, um, this voice said, the content of your life, Mary, is the curriculum of your evolution. So whether, no matter what it is, if it, rather than fighting the content, blaming the con finding somebody to blame for the content, it's like, all right, this content came not to, not to hurt me. It came to bless me by in this content and getting the learning from it. So um, I'm a much better teacher. I'm able to stand with people going through much, much more difficult things than I was in my past because I know that you can hold an image in your mind while all the facts are shouting, this is never going to happen. And you hold the vibration of that and take the steps you can take and you turn around and sometimes it's 14 years before you see the final result, but you will see the final result. If you stay true to, there is a system of transformation. It's proven, it's reliable, it's repeatable. And any one of us can apply it to our lives. And it's there that we go, wow, this was like magic. Oh my gosh. That is so powerful. My dad, he is, well, it was back in 2006, something similar happened to or it, it, what didn't happen to him but in a sense I would say it happened for him but he just had an experience very similar um and was indicted and everything but he was innocent though they found him innocent fortunately of course there was still a lot of money taken and he basically went to ground zero from a good amount right and then because I mean a therapist once diagnosed him with ostrich syndrome but I feel like he innately understood this formula you speak of with, without being able to talk about or share the formula. He just has this innate positive way of thinking and, and he just also visualizes things naturally. It's just a beautiful thing I've seen in him. And it's wild how he's been able to completely turn his life around from, you know, ground zero. And I mean, that was a very traumatic time in our family's life, but I'm so proud to see where he's made his world so much more beautiful from that. Close and personal to you that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, it's wild to see. And I love that he shifts from what you talk about, discontent to feeling deserving. And there's so much power in that. Yes. Yes. Well, do you have any other messages that come to heart that you feel like you want to share? Well, I just would say to our listeners, 
Um, life is no respecter of age. It doesn't matter what age you are. Uh, life is ever seeking. Think about it. Today, very this very day, life is moving into and through a blade of grass, pressing it to become more of itself. And that blade of grass will press right through cement, seeking the light. And the blade of that life energy is pressing through the edges of a tree to become more of itself. And every part of life of which you are and I am, life is sending signals for more life. In a human, it sends signals of longing. Oh, I would love that. And it sends signals of discontent. I'm so tired of struggling with money. I'm so tired of not having my own place. I'm so tired of. Those are signs that life is saying there's more for you. Take the system that you've heard today and listen to Raquel regularly. Not just now and then, but listen regularly. You're going to have pieces of this supporting you so that you can move your life from where it currently is to what you would absolutely love. You really can. That power is with you. And there's, it's not, you don't beg for it. You, there's a science behind it where you become a match for it. But you start with the vision of what you would absolutely love. And read brave thinking because everything you're saying feels so true within my soul and it's so chilling. And I have had chills throughout this conversation, which I always call truth bumps. And I just can't wait to read your book. Yeah, it comes out May 23rd. And I'm thrilled. Yeah, <laughs> it's exciting. It will come out this week. The episode will, will release the week that it comes out. Awesome. Awesome. So <laughs> go to Amazon. Yes, go and to Amazon. Uh, of course, everything will be in the show notes. How about a whole bunch of personal bonuses that I, I give with it. So you'll like that. <gasps> yes. Um, and where can everyone connect with you while we're on that topic? So go to bravethinkingbook.com. Bravethinkingbook.com. Correct. Amazing. Are you ready for rapid fire? I am. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. What is your favorite form of body movement? Uh, running. Where is your happy place? Oh, with my husband on our back patio with our little dog in our laps. Oh, with Molly. Yeah. Animal you connect with the most, if any. That would be my dog, Molly. I feel that. I used to say elephant or owl or wolf, but honestly, it's my dog. Now it's my dog. <laughs> do you have a morning routine? I do. First thing I do in the morning uh, before I ever let my feet touch the floor as I notice that I'm starting to awake. That, that moment where you're moving from sound asleep into waking, waking, whether it's the alarm or the sun on my face or whatever is the prompt that I'm now starting to awaken, I pause and I do not let my feet touch the, touch the ground until I recognize I get to open my eyes today. Not everybody does. There are people who will not open their eyes today. It's as if life is standing before me with a gift in its hands and it's saying, behold, I give you the best gift I have, and that is a day of myself. Nobody gets to think your thoughts today but you. No one gets to choose what you're going to make important today but you. Go make it a greater day of your life than ever before. When I can really, some days it's easy for me to just go into that generative gratitude. Other days, it's on my mind, it takes me longer. But until I'm in that vibration, gratitude is the frequency that's harmonious with abundance. Period. Period. I love that. I will not continue the day until I really step into this feeling of gratitude. But you do allow yourself, give yourself the space to really feel it instead of fake it, it sounds like. No, it did, faking it doesn't, it's not, not, doesn't help. It's not genuine. It's not a genuine, it's not going to align you with it. That's the first of my morning practice. Beautiful. And if you were able to whisper something in the ear of your 16 year old self, what do you think you would tell hmm. her? It's all going to work out. <laughs> it's all going to work out. It's going to be an amazing, amazing life. Yes. It's all going to work out. And this is the last question that I ask all the Euro Magic guests. How would you advise the Euro Magic listeners to create their own magic? Mm. Ask yourself, let the primary question you're asking, not what do I think I can do, not how would I do it, but what? Start with the what question. What would I absolutely love? And just start to write down what you would really love in your life three years from now in the absence of knowing at all how, but get really clear on the what. Beautiful. Mary, this entire conversation, like I told you, it was chilling. I had chills throughout it. 
aka Truth Bumps, and I just feel so honored to connect with the radiant, beautiful, powerful, phenomenal human and soul you are. And yeah, thank you for sharing these very valuable insights that I feel every listener needed to hear in some way, shape, or form. And your energy is just infectious. And I just hope to connect with you again because this was absolutely phenomenal. Thank you for the opportunity and just continue to do the great work you're doing, Raquel. Thank you, Mary. (laughs) Thank you. Yomis, that is a wrap. I hope this episode was expanding for you in some way, shape, or form. Feel free to visit our site at yourownmagic.com or check out my shop eyesofaspen.com connect with the other your own magic listeners we would love to see more conversations started on the your own magic facebook group so with all that being said thank you so much again for tuning in and i hope you have a magical rest of your day